As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. A couple of episodes ago, uh, we talked about Kat had applied for jobs and signed up on one of those job sites, you know, bestjobintheworld.com or whatever that was, and uh, and they sent you a uh, an email saying, based on your, your uh, experience level, Here's a job that we think you're qualified for. And it was go-kart attendant. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to point out that uh, you actually got a job offer that you like. Yes. And you're pretty excited about it. I am. And you were, you were sitting on the couch uh, and you were typing something. And I said, uh, what, uh, what, what, are you, what are you typing? And you said, well, it's my acceptance letter for this, this new position. And I said, oh, okay, well, I won't. I'll be quiet. And a couple of minutes go by and you said, how, how do you spell trombone? And what, how did you work the word trombone into your letter of acceptance? (laughs) (laughs) I love you, you freak. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I don't remember. It didn't have the word rusty before it did it. No. And, you know, honestly, I, I, before I met you, I'd never heard the term rusty trombone. So uh, I think maybe you're, you're the weirdo. Okay. Well, I just think it's important to not expose your brass instruments to uh, moisture or humidity. That's all I'm saying. Theboxofoddities.com. That's where you can find us. Uh, you can email us, curator at theboxofoddities.com. All right. You go first this week. I had another topic chosen and was pretty much ready to go. And then I read this this morning and I thought it was terribly interesting. And so this is what we're going with. Um, It's light science and nature-y category on Jeopardy. But I I just couldn't, er, I just couldn't ignore it. I just knocked over my phone. Okay, here we go. This, by the way, almost entirely copied and pasted from an article in the New York Times by... Veronique Greenwood. Veronique. <laughs> it's pretty. Um, <clears throat> so in a paper published uh, not long ago in the journal eNeuro, scientists at the University of California, Los Angeles, reported that when they transferred molecules from the brain cells of trained snails 
to untrained snails, the animals behaved as if they remembered the trained snails' experiences. What? They trained snails? Yeah, but that's not the point. Yeah, but how do you train a snail? Like little tiny whips? They transferred memories. That's incredible. David Glansman, a professor of neurobiology at UCLA, who is an author of the new paper, has been studying Aplasia californica, Aplasia. It's a kind of snail. It's a sea snail and its ability to make long-term memories for years. The snails, uh, they're like five inches long and they're a uh, organism used for studying how memories are formed because their neurons are large and relatively easy to work with. They gave these snails a little electric shock, which I don't agree with, um, and then briefly retract their frilly, their frilly buttholes. Wait, they train snails through their frilly buttholes? Yes. They're, it's like a, it's a frilly butthole. Okay. So a snail that has been shocked before retracts its frilly butthole um, for much longer than a new snail recruit sure. might. Sure, make my butthole retract too. Exactly. So scientists realized that even when they interfered with their trained snail's brain cells in a way that should have removed the memory altogether, some vestige of memory remained. So they decided to see whether something beyond the brain cell's connection to each other, namely RNA, could be hanging on to the memory. Then there's this whole bit about RNA and what it is. You might remember it from biology. It's what carries messages uh, between the genome and the rest of the cell. But scientists have realized that there's more to RNA than just playing messenger. So they took the brain cells of trained snails and untrained snails and grew them in a lab. Then they bathed the untrained neurons in RNA from trained cells and then gave them a shock at, to see how they reacted. And that frilly butthole was... You, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just... You know what I'm getting at. I'm, I'm imagining it um, and it's horrifying. I'm a, I'm a little disturbed right now because in my mind... Well, never mind. Go ahead. How do, Look, where are we in our life, you and me, where we're sitting here talking about Snails, frilly buttholes retracting. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? It I mean, is fantastic. A year ago, I would never have imagined we'd be so lucky. Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> so researchers took uh, the RNA from the brain cells of trained snails and injected it into new snails. And to their surprise, the new snails kept their, their frilly buttholes wrapped up much longer after the shock, almost as if they'd been trained. So this research kind of harkens back to studies from the 1960s involving flatworms. So back then, scientists indulged in a little grossness. They would chop up a flatworm trained to respond to light and then feed that flatworm to other flatworms to see whether the dead flatworm's memories would transfer. And oddly enough, it looked like it did, but the results were difficult to replicate and the, the field moved on. Also, that's weird. So, so it wasn't something that they could uh, do over and over again. It was kind of sporadic. Yeah. But it did happen. Exactly. Wow. So they believed that it was working, but they just didn't know why. Now they seem to have an idea. 
Dr. Glansman said that this is the first study since the flatworm work to propose that memories can be transferred in such a way. The team's findings are a long way still from being applied to people and how our memories form, of course, because studies have shown that snails and humans are different. Right. The lab results are in. <laughs> we are not snails. Um, but they hope to replicate the experiments, potentially opening the door to understanding how RNA and genetic tags on DNA could be involved in memory. And if that's the case, then it can change the game for so many things. Um, research into Alzheimer's and um, the idea that your memories can live on forever. Oh, that's just fascinating. Right? Yeah. And yeah. So anyway, that was... That was pretty much it for the article. There was a little more about the the science of it, but there were words in there that I couldn't pronounce, so I just skipped right over that. Does that tie in? Are they implying that it ties into uh, what they're trying to do uh, technologically with uh, the combining of artificial intelligence and biological intelligence? In other words, the theory that uh, we'll be able to essentially download our consciousness on a on a hard drive and have it exist there as long as the batteries don't run out right on your laptop um i think that if you remember that episode of friends where ross was talking about exactly that idea um he scared off a lot of ladies and everything that we talk about somehow in your mind relates to an episode of friends i'm just saying that that's exactly how ross didn't get chicks well ross was a douche that's true. Yeah. And he would have been very successful on this podcast, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a, a, a short story that I read uh, not, not too, too long ago. In the, it, was, it was in the not-too-distant future, and there was a, quote, termination room. And when your body got to the point where it just couldn't support you anymore, they would take you into this room. They would download your consciousness, your soul, whatever you want to call it, onto a hard drive, terminate that body and then bring in a freshly cloned body and reinstall your consciousness into that. That sounds very, very familiar. But that is, that is fascinating. That really is fascinating. I think so. Wow. I, I was at the um, drug test site this morning. For your new job. Right. Yes, that's yeah, why. Right. That's the one that has to do with trombones. <laughs> and I, I had just finished reading this article and so I was talking about it to the lady who is taking my pee and um <laughs> she just didn't seem that impressed with with what i was saying at all were you telling her this while you were urinating in a yes. cup oh yeah she probably just wanted to get it over with i mean i i've got a website if she wants a different job that i can recommend to her <laughs> that's true <laughs> <laughs> she could be a go-kart attendant <laughs> All right, so that's it. That's that's, that's what I got. That's great. Fascinating. This is the Box of Oddities. I said box. All right, that thing in the middle, it's going to be a little bit different this time. As it will be in the later part of the week. Yeah, second episode will be a little different. This is something that I've been wanting to do for a little while now. Um, because we have been so overwhelmed with how awesome people have been and how welcoming they've been and how many people have let us know that they've let us into their ears every day on their ride to work or on their daily walks or whatever. And so we've been getting some feedback and some of it's pretty awesome. 
What we're learning is that uh, you, you freaks, are uh, extremely creative types. And amazing. And funny. And wonderful. And, and thoughtful. And we just wanted to share some of the thoughts that you've shared with us on our social media and uh, also on like our CastBox page. Let's each pick three of our favorites. Okay. All right. Ready? I'm ready. On our CastBox comments, A.M. Vega writes... I love you dorks so much. And Aww. it just, that Aww. that really pulls at my heartstrings. These are, these are I, our people. I love you. <laughs> I've particularly enjoyed uh, this guy's comments, Tyler. He wrote on, uh, on CastBox at 7.52 in the episode, quote, just the idea of it makes my butthole clinch shut, Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Note, I had just taken a drink of Dr. Pepper when I heard this colorful image-provoking quote, as the flood of nasally corrosive soda geysered from my nostrils, I thought two things. First, I thought, holy shit, holy shit, are my sinuses being gang-banged by fire ants? And then I thought, good God, I love this podcast. And we love you, Tyler. You are a delight, sir. Gang-banged by fire ants is my new favorite thing. Amber wrote to us at uh, curator at theboxofoddities.com. Uh, she talked about a couple of strange things that were in her neck of the woods, including uh, the story of Molly Crenshaw, who was accused of being a witch, and upon her execution, her body parts were buried in separate graves. And year by year, the body parts slowly moved closer until they reassembled to bring her back to life. Wah, wah, wah. I love this story. You putting that one on the board? She then says, uh, thank you two so much for doing what you do and I will keep letting my freak flag fly. Thank you, Amber. Also from curator at theboxofoddities.com, Josh wrote, your podcast is amazing and actually the first one I started listening to. I enjoy listening on my way home from work. I'm glad you guys are now doing two episodes a week. Uh, and then he made a suggestion too about a supposed real life time traveler, John Titer. And I have researched this, and actually I, I've read a lot about it because it's kind of fascinating, and we may do that. He said, I love all the weird things you guys do. Keep flying that freak flag. Thanks, Josh. And from our email, Karen writes us. She says, I'm nine years old, and I love your podcast. And the oddity I want you to look up is unidentified flying objects. Karen, little tiny baby freak. I love this from the iTunes comment page. Just discovered gold. This is from CS Reviews. Just found this podcast and what a find. Jethro and Kat are hilarious and thought provoking. I love their chemistry and their wet, dry humor. <laughs> it's a Jerry Lewis test tube baby for the ears. You are a freak, sir or madam. <laughs> Jerry Lewis test tube baby. <laughs> Basically, what we're getting at is thank you so much for letting us be a part of your day and uh, for getting back to us. And and we just love having you as part of ours. Yeah, here's the thing. You guys are funny <laughs> and you're true. creative uh -huh. and we love that. So keep them coming. Uh, curator at the box of oddities.com or you can uh, maybe give us a mention on CastBox or iTunes or wherever you listen. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I'm glad you did the subject that you did because it was kind of fun and light. Mm -hmm. This is this is a a little bit darker, a little than, heavier than what you did on February third in the early morning hours in a snowstorm in 1959. A small airplane, a Beechcraft Bonanza, lost control and crashed in a cornfield in Iowa, killing the pilot and three passengers. 
The passengers were, of course, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper. Yes, we've heard of this, right? The day the music died. Absolutely. Did you know there's a lot of dark history involving uh, this particular incident? Besides the obvious things, you know, three great musicians died. Well, I do know that Waylon Jennings almost was on that plane. Is that right? Yeah, he was in the in the band and he was supposed to, I guess he was going on the plane or he and... Uh, and uh, the big bopper, Richie Valens, one of them, they flipped a coin. Right. Or uh, I've heard they've cut a deck of cards. But yeah, they gambled over who was going to get the uh, the plane. And Jennings lost. At least that's how he looked at it at the time. Right. And he le- led his entire life, from what I've read, uh, feeling guilty about that. Well, yeah. Survivor's guilt's a very real thing. And it's it's sad. That I'm already sad. The wreckage photos are available online, yeah. as well as, you know, the, the coroner's reports. And I'm not going to get into all that other than to say that uh, it barely looked like a, uh, an airplane. It was just like a big chunk of twisted steel wreckage. Now, there were rumors and conspiracy theories swirling around this incident. And understandably, I mean, it was big news and people don't like it when famous people die. That's why people still insist Elvis is alive and uh, Michael Jackson is still alive and all that stuff. The rumors that uh, were swirling around this involved foul play. There was some kind of crazy rumor that uh, the government was behind this somehow because the music was bad influence on on the teenagers, you know, and so... The government somehow killed them. We're gonna we're gonna squash this music. Yeah, they're starting kill- to dance. <laughs> <laughs> now I can, all I can think of is Kevin Bacon. Well, I mean, what's new? I think about him all the time. He's a handsome man. He's a handsome, handsome man. But one of the rumors was that uh, there was a gun found in the field. That's never been substantiated. But the rumor was that there was a gun. It was covered up, and that Buddy Holly had uh, had owned the gun and perhaps was playing with it, and it went off and. That there was a bullet hole in the pilot's seat mm. that he accidentally shot the pilot in flight. Another rumor was that uh, Buddy Holly had tried to kill himself. I'm just going to say this. Um, regardless of, of whether or not this is the case, which I don't, I don't think that that's the case at all, but um, do not play with guns. Especially... In a Beechcraft Bow, Bowie... Beechcraft Bonanza. Right. Do not handle firearms in a beach ball sizzler. Exactly. I couldn't have put it more succinctly. Thank you. The part of the uh, conspiracies that that we're going to explore is this one, that uh, the Big Bopper survived the crash and tried to walk away to essentially get help and that somebody put a bullet in his back. These conspiracy theories have kind of taken a life on of their own. Mm -hmm. So in 2007, they decided that they, uh, they wanted to move the Big Bopper's burial spot from a relatively obscure spot of the cemetery to a more prominent location and put up a statue mm-hmm. to honor the man. Sure. So essentially, you know, they had to dig him up. They had to exhume his body right. to do it. Now, I found an article and it doesn't say, I can't, I can't quote who, who wrote it, but it was because it's not credited, but it's from uh, the rockin50s.com website. It's written by a person that was there at the exhumation. And it says, on Tuesday, March 6th, 2007, 
At an invitation of Jay Richardson, I was present at Forest Lawn Cemetery in Beaumont, Texas for the exhibition and reburial of his father, J.P. Richardson, known as the Big Bopper. Because of the state of Texas historical sign recently awarded to the Bopper, the fact that the bronze statue would soon be erected at the grave, and because Forest Lawn does not allow anything above ground grave markers, signs, statues, at that specific site, they asked if uh, they could exhume the body and move him. I see. And his son, Jay, agreed that that would be great. And, and he thought this was a chance to maybe do another autopsy and to maybe put to rest these rumors or to prove that these conspiracy theories were, in fact, true. Did he die on impact or was he capable of walking away? Was there a bullet hole? All of that stuff. The exhumation began at 7 a.m., two feet of water had been found at the bottom of the uh, disinterment site. And uh, your pal, Dr. William Bass from the Body Farm, was there to help determine what the cause of death was. Yes. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. We actually very briefly touched upon this in the episode uh, that I talked about the body farm. Bill Bass is a superstar. Please continue. Dr. Bass stated that uh, we might not find anything but ashes and or mud if the water had found its way into the casket. Mm. When the vault enclosing the casket had uh, had been lifted out, it was taken to a special area uh, at the cemetery, and it was washed off. The vault was unlocked at both ends, cracked open fairly easily. Again, that worried them about the water damage. Yeah. They lifted the casket out using a crane lift on a on a piece of machinery. It was then brought into uh, the place where the examination was, was going to take place. And judging by the pictures that I found online, it's like a garage area. A representative at the cemetery warned everybody about what they might see, that they uh, would there would be an odor. <laughs> it's good to have a heads up. Hey, you know what? This is not going to smell good. Well, it's funny because you'd think after that many years that maybe there wouldn't be, but I guess I guess it depends on how much was left. Right, and how tightly sealed the, right. the casket was. Yeah. So basically, they gave everybody a chance to leave. If you want to leave, now is the time. With that warning, the casket was unlocked and the lid was raised, and there were gasps as uh, they looked inside. There he was, J.P. Richardson, the big bopper. The body had been preserved extremely well and was very recognizable. The head seemed a little bit smaller than expected because of loss of fluids. Uh, the skin was a bluish green color, but the hair was very dark brown, almost black, with the familiar crew cut that he had. Right. It was without a doubt the big bopper. The skull showed a small crushed spot on the right side of the head. And we assumed that uh, that was because of the work that they had done at the Iowa funeral home uh, to keep the body looking as best as possible, you know, probably mortician's potty or whatever they call it. The upper lip still showed a bit of makeup used when uh, when they prepared the body. Yeah. He had been buried in a dark suit and was still completely intact. He wore no shoes, just socks, and his feet were swollen. I would imagine, yeah, your feet would swell. I mean, after an hour commuter flight, I get a little puffy, so. It was obvious that two things took place to keep the body in that state of preservation. The funeral home did an excellent job of embalming. And the casket did an excellent job of keeping the body free from uh, contamination such as air and water. He says, uh, may I mention that the odor was nauseating and completely filled the building very quickly. Sure. I was told the odor was from the chemicals used to preserve the body, intermingling with any body fluids that mm. uh, may have been present back then. Yeah, there's, there's nothing nice about the smell of a decomposing human body. Zero nice things. So Dr. Bass did an autopsy. Rockstar. On the Big Bopper. And in his book, Beyond the Body Farm. Which you can find a link to on our Instagram page. Here's an excerpt from chapter 15. Jay Richardson, the Big Bopper's son, 
was born two months after his father died. He stepped up beside the upper end of the coffin. I stood beside him. A hush fell over the group as Rodney Landry grasped the edge of the lid and gave it a tug. After nearly half a century in the soggy ground, the lid raised smoothly and silently. As it did, it revealed one of the most remarkable sights I have ever seen in my career. What I saw, and what Jay Richardson saw, was not a bare skull or a rotting corpse. What we saw was the big bopper himself, complete with his trademark crew cut. The skin was discolored, a molted greenish-purple color, but the features were instantly recognizable and bore a striking resemblance to those of the man who stood beside me, getting his first glimpse of his father in the flesh. Oh, that's heavy. The body condition was all the more recognizable in view of the damage it may have suffered in the plane crash. Embalming fluid is volatile, and it gradually leaches out of the body, even if the skin has no breaks. In cases of extensive trauma, trying to uh, fill a body with embalming fluid is like trying to uh, fill a sieve or a sponge. To help lessen the leakage, the funeral home had uh, zipped the body in a Unionall, which is a leak-resistant jumpsuit, before dressing the bopper for his uh, for his funeral. So they kind of put him in a Ziploc bag and then embalmed him and then put a nice suit over that bag? Basically, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's what they do. Now think about this for a moment. The big bopper was 28 when he was killed. Oh. Far younger than his son was when his son was standing there looking at his face. That must have been so weird for the little bopper. Yeah, well, I, I don't, I can't imagine there's a lot that's not weird about looking at your decomposing dad, regardless of how old either of you were when he died. Big Bopper Jr. said, quote, Dad still amazes me 48 years after his death, that he was in remarkable shape. I surprised myself as well. I handled it better than I would have thought. Now, the autopsy findings from uh, Dr. Bass, without a doubt, determined that the Big Bopper died on impact. There is no way that he could have um, survived the crash and walked away. He was thrown from the wreckage. The body was so badly broken up that there's just absolutely no way that that rumor that he tried to walk away and died or got shot, on it just, there was no evidence of that. And Dr. Bass's autopsy results are available online for this, and, and it goes into much greater detail in his book, Beyond the Body Farm, if you want to pick that up and read it for yourself. It's a great read. There was a rumor in 2008 that the Big Bopper's son was going to sell the coffin, the casket, because when they brought him up, they Mm -hmm. put him in a new casket and buried him in his new plot. And there was actually a rumor, and his son didn't deny it, that the the Big Bopper's casket was going up on eBay. Wow. Yeah. But it didn't end up happening. He decided after a year that uh, he would not do that. Sure. Uh, He said uh, it was about a hundred to one chance that he would do that. I mean, what is he going to do with it? You know, I I don't know. I think that's a that's a personal choice. I don't think I would begrudge him at all for making some dollars off of casket. I mean, that that wouldn't bother me. It currently resides in the Texas Musicians Museum in Hillsboro, Texas, where it remains on display as of now. He's not going to sell it because he died in 2013. Ah. J.P. Richardson Jr., son of rock and roll icon The Big Bopper and frequent performer at the Surf Ballroom, died Wednesday morning in Katy, Texas, according to the uh, Surf Ballroom staff. He was 54. This comes from the Globe Gazette.com. Well, I'm glad that he was able to put that 
kind of to rest. It wasn't, I mean, the idea of your dad stumbling away from a horrendous yeah. plane crash and dying in search of assistance is horrible. Just horrifying. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, one of those situations where it's not great that he died in a plane crash either, but I think it's a better feeling than the thought that he died searching for help after, yeah. you know? Yeah, in a snowstorm. That's rough. In February in Iowa. Right. But the plane was called like a surfboard, so... No, it wasn't. I mean, it, it shouldn't was, have been in a snowstorm in the first place. It was a beach craft. There was the word beach in it, but it was still capable of flying when it was snowing. Apparently, not in this case, mm-hmm. but... But mm-hmm. yeah, says you. Mm. Yeah. Now there's a whole other area here that I really resisted exploring, and that's the uh, the Buddy Holly curse. And you can look that up for yourself too. That uh, people who are in his band, members of the Crickets, or mm-hmm. people that replaced him in in later versions of the of the Crickets, died in plane crashes too. A couple of them did. Well, I mean, when uh, yeah, well, you know, a lot of musicians died in plane crashes. Um, and I think aviation safety has really improved over the years. That's true. You know, if you believe in forever and life is just a one night stand, right? then there's a rock and roll heaven. If they've got that, then they've got a hell of a band. For sure. Yeah. I was wondering when that was going to, yeah. I was trying to figure out how to work in, uh, Chantilly lace, but there was really no place for me to talk about a pretty face and a ponytail hanging down. Just do it now. (laughs) Wiggling a walk and a giggling a talk. Ooh, baby. That's, <laughs> That's what I like. Theboxofoddities.com. And uh, we are starting to get pictures now of people wearing their merch, which is amazing. We'll start posting some of that. Again, if you've ordered merch from our website, theboxofoddities.com, put the shirt on and send us a picture. Send us the picture jars. Yeah, we've started to see some and I love it. I could not. I meant legitimate. Legitimate me. Legitimate me. Legitimately, it pleases me to no end to see people wearing Box of Oddities swag. So please continue to do that because I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Our next episode drops uh, early Monday morning. We look forward to seeing you in a couple days. Keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly. And so let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities. And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Good one. Excuse me. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist, and reader of books. 
as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.